Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Monday, March 28th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Mining engineering is a high-tech job, but over the weekend, college students studying in the field competed in old-timey mining games. We spend a lot of time researching, writing, and we need an outlet and fun things to do. You shouldn't research the whole time. You need balance. In just a few minutes, we will visit the annual International Intercollegiate Mining Competition in Rolla. St. Louis County voters could block county executives from holding any outside employment at the risk of forfeiting their office. The measure is on the April 5th ballot. As St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman reports, supporters make no secret that it is targeted at County Executive Sam Page. The county's charter currently says the executive must devote their, quote, entire time to the duties of the office. But Page has continued to work as an anesthesiologist. He says it's on his personal time to keep up his license. Third Ward Councilman Tim Fitch, a Republican, says because Page is always the county executive, that's a clear violation of the charter. However, he claims there's a loophole there that says there's no penalty. This clears up any kind of loophole or any kind of doubt and does add a specific penalty if he does it. The council's ethics committee has been investigating Page's medical work. Passage of the charter change requires a simple majority. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. The St. Louis Preservation Review Board will consider today whether the historic Culver House next to Powell Hall should be demolished. The St. Louis Symphony Orchestra is planning a $100 million renovation project that would use that space on Delmar Boulevard. Paul Homan is a preservationist in St. Louis. I realize that not every building can be saved, but when it comes to the point of when you have only two or three of something left, I think that's the time when you start looking at preservation. He says the orchestra should consider moving the 19th century Queen Anne-style home. Homan also says it could be repurposed as office space for the orchestra or an art gallery. One of the most popular players in Cardinals history is on the verge of rejoining the team. Several outlets, including the Post-Dispatch and MLB.com, report the cards, have agreed to a one-year deal with Albert Pujols pending a physical. It's a $2.5 million contract. Recently released documents and recordings appear to support claims that secrecy marred the failed effort to privatize St. Louis Lambert International Airport. An attorney involved in a lawsuit against the city disclosed records from nearly 50 meetings of the Airport Advisory Working Group. I spoke with the Midwest Newsroom's Steve Ockrott, who says the materials suggest the discussion of some issues behind closed doors may have violated Missouri's open records law. They were discussing things like how to message this to the public when it's ready to go for prime time to discuss some of the more pertinent issues. How do they go to the media and to the press and to certain news outlets to discuss it and to address it publicly? Their argument would be that that is not something that you're supposed to be discussing behind closed doors and adds to the environment and the allegations of secrecy around the whole privatization effort, which as a lot of listeners will know, is one of the big problems behind that whole process. Has there been any response from the working group, the airport, or the city of St. Louis about these allegations? The city has tried to dismiss this lawsuit. The lawsuit is still ongoing. One of the things that the lawyer that's suing the city said is that they have offered to resolve the lawsuit 
if the city would make an admission that they violated the law with these closed door meetings, that determination has not been made. I asked the mayor's office if that's something that they would consider. You know, and Mayor Jones was a critic of the process. Mayor Jones, a spokesperson, tells me that they will consider any reasonable uh, effort to resolve a case. They didn't commit one way or the other, but they noted again that Mayor Jones was opposed to this as treasurer and that she would continue to promote transparency in government. I want to give people a clearer picture of just who we're talking about here. So can we run down some of the players involved in all this? Who is named in these documents? The members of the working group were generally named in the documents. Some of the more prominent figures in the discussion included Linda Martinez, who was the deputy mayor, Paul Payne, he's the budget director who was also leading the working group. Some of their conversations come into play in some of the documents and recordings that were made available uh, by the attorney in this case. You have lawyers, you have consultants who are part of this. One of the prominent meetings that occurred was one that took place in December of 2019, not long before then Mayor Krusen pulled the plug on this whole process. That was when they were discussing potential conflicts of interest by one of the bidders that had a lot of local ties. There was an extensive discussion about whether St. Louis Aviation Group or STL Aviation Group, whether one of their members had a conflict of interest because he worked previously for Mayor Slay. That individual's name is Jeff Rainford. There was an agreement generally by the committee that there was an appearance of a conflict of interest, but there was some debate over whether there was an actual conflict of interest and what difference that would make. And it was later on in that meeting that Linda Martinez was advocating for them to make a short list of proposers that the group would then evaluate further. How does Rex Sinkfield's name fit into all this? He was providing funding for the whole process leading up to privatization. This was something presumably that he wanted to see happen. There were other people in his orbit who were involved in this process. If you were a proponent of privatization, he was the benefactor to that effort. If you were opposed to it, he was seen as the person helping bankroll what was going on. What's next? Where does it all go from here? So as far as the lawsuit goes, you know, it's going to go through some more procedural motions. There will probably be motions filed. A judge may decide this before it gets to a trial setting or something like that. It also remains to be seen whether the city takes up the lawyer's offer to just resolve the case short of uh, any further proceedings. We don't know that yet. As far as the privatization process, you know, the city has referred to it in court documents uh, related to this case as something that's pretty much over and done with. And given the mayor's stated opposition, it's a little harder to see how this thing pops up again, but uh, who knows. That was the Midwest Newsroom's Steve Vokrot, who goes into much more depth in this story on our website, stlpr.org. Mining engineering is a technology-driven field, with high levels of science and computer knowledge being a basic requirement to work in the industry. But over the weekend, college students from around the world came to Rolla to compete in events that mimic mining practices from a century ago. St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All reports on the International Intercollegiate Mining Competition. 
A college mining student from England is swinging a small sledgehammer over and over again into a spike stuck into a concrete block. He's sweating profusely on this cool morning at the Missouri S&T Experimental Mine in Rolla. His muscles are pulsing as his teammates cheer him on. This is the hand steel, one of seven events in the annual intercollegiate mining competition. The 2022 event is the first one in three years because of COVID. Missouri S&T last hosted it in 2014. Schools from as far away as Australia sent teams to compete. The events featuring old-timey mining practices are physically draining, which begs the question, why do this? That's a great question because... Really, I don't know why we all do this. Ryan Sibley is an S&T student and the lead coordinator for the games. Because it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy out of us. Most of us are, are face down after a lot of the events from, from all the energy we expanded. But getting the chance to be able to see and mingle with all of our other fellow mining students throughout the world is just an absolutely amazing opportunity. It's also an opportunity to take on timed, back-breaking labor like adding 15 feet onto a mining rail track using nothing but muscles and hammers. Emily Johnson is a graduate student at S&T and one of the competitors. She says even though the technology is outdated, it helps her understand the roots and history of her industry. And uh, this is one of the programs where you're able to actually go out into a mine and actually try all these things that people for centuries have been doing in mines. So it's pretty nice to be able to see how everything has evolved from what we do every day in classes to what they used to do way back in the day and meet other people who enjoy it as well. Getting out from behind a computer screen and out of the lab is also part of the attraction for Johnson's teammate, Rachel Bauer. It definitely plays into my education. It's good to have an outlet. We, we're all PhD students and we spend a lot of time researching, writing, and we need an outlet and fun things to do. You shouldn't research the whole time. You need balance. What's it like uh, hanging out with colleagues from around the world too? So much fun. I've met so many great people. Another event is hand mucking. Teams of five push a huge mine cart down a track, then use shovels to fill it with dirt, gravel, and debris known as muck, and push the full cart back down the track. Neil Miller is a sophomore mining engineering major at the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. After his hand mucking team finished, he collapsed in the mud from exhaustion. Despite that fatigue, he says it was worth it especially to remember the origin of the games. They were established more than 40 years ago to honor fallen miners in an Idaho disaster. Uh, the Sunshine Mine. So um, the main reason these, these events are around are as a remembrance to, to all those miners that perished during that disaster. So, you know, that's personally why I do it. It's also a lot of fun. You build a lot of team building skills, camaraderie. Mining students seem to revel in the fellowship of their chosen field and that they are somewhat considered outsiders in the world of science and technology. Molly Gordon is the captain of the team from the Camborne School of Mine in Penryn, England. She says the nature of being a miner is what attracted her to it. I think it's just very, for me, it's just very niche and unique and it's just, it's very essential but people don't actually know about it. It's just a very interesting topic and I was always interested in doing engineering, but mining just sounded a lot cooler, so that's what I've gone for, and I'm happy I've done it. After this competition, the mining students will head back to classes and labs with sore muscles, smiles on their faces, and a better understanding of the origins of their industry. In Rala, I'm Jonathan All, St. Louis Public Radio.
We have pictures from the Intercollegiate Mining Games on our website, stlpr.org. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.